We're up to Second uh, Samuel chapter 15 as we've been going through the Old Testament. In chapter 14, if you remember, Absalom was able to get a meeting with the king, who was his father, King David. At that meeting, we were told that the king kissed Absalom as they had this opportunity to come together after years of being separated here. So it was a very formal thing, and there didn't appear to be any emotional display or deep bonding and reconciliation that took place. Just a formal kiss done publicly to show that the king accepted uh, Absalom. I'm pretty sure that Absalom was probably hoping for a lot more than that from that meeting, because from that point on, he started to plan his takeover of the, of the kingdom. And it's going to be a rebellious takeover. It's not something that'd be done peaceably or in a kind spirit. So from Absalom's perspective, he probably figured that he wasted seven years of his life waiting for his father to open his arms and embrace his son. And all he got was a public kiss, you know, from the king. He's going to try to justify his rebellious takeover of the kingdom of Israel because he's going to blame his father for not dealing with him in the right way. So in other words, David made some mistakes in how he raised his sons, and he did not comfort them or confront them when they did wrong. And he allowed a broken relationship with his son to go on for years instead of seeking that reconciliation sooner. But you know, there's a lesson for all of us in that. Our parents are all sinners, in case we didn't realize that. And because of that, chances are very high that they made some mistakes in how they raised us. But you think about this, even Jesus had sinful parents, right? And yet he honored them and he obeyed them. He didn't rebel against them, he didn't become bitter against them. So we learn, you know, from Absalom's story that sinful parents are never an excuse to sin against God nor to rebel against our parents. Now, is that because our parents are perfect? No, (laughs) we just said they're all sinners. So the point is that we're responsible for our own choices. We can't justify our sinful actions by blaming our parents. And that's a big lesson we get from Absalom there. Now, Absalom, he was arrogant and he was rebellious on his own. You know, he can try to blame his parents, but his actions are his choice. Later on, he's going to decide to lower himself morally by raping all 10 of his father's concubines. And by doing that, he shows that he's a much worse uh, person than Amnon or David. I mean, Amnon raped his sister Tamar. You remember that story, we went through that. But Absalom is going to rape 10 of his father's concubines. And David, uh, you know, he ended up sleeping with a married woman, Bathsheba, but Absalom is gonna sleep with 10 of his father's concubines. So by his actions, he proved himself to be much worse than both of them. So Absalom was a sinful rebel at his heart, and that was just his own character. So we are responsible for our own character. We can't blame other people on that. And let's think about this even further from a Christian perspective. As Christians, we can't blame our parents for our own sinful choices because we've got the word of God to teach us right from wrong. And we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome any sinful situation. You know, after we get saved, we have no excuse and we cannot put the blame on our parents. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 15 and look down to verse 1. 
It says, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And of course, it stands out here that he provided this for himself. <laughs> you know, somebody didn't come up to him and say, Absalom, you're such an important guy. I think you need to have this group of folks and, and everything to go with you. you know? Absalom started to act like he was a big celebrity, a very honored and important person. Now, he's doing this for himself. So he came up with the idea of having this huge entourage to accompany him when he went out. Now, this would turn some heads, you know, when people saw this big group coming by and thinking, wow, that must be somebody important. <laughs> it's Absalom, and he thinks he's very important. So he liked to put on this outward display, and he wanted people to get used to seeing him as a very important person. And uh, the wild thing is, and we'll mention this again, that he's supposed to be the next king. I mean, he's in line for that, but he's tired of waiting. He's not going to wait on God's timing. He's going to jump in and do this his own way. So uh, we're going to see some problems, obviously, from that. So uh, 2 Samuel 15, verse 2 says, Now Absalom would rise early, and he would stand beside the way to the gate. And of course, this is where a lot of the people would come in during the day to do business, or they had things going on. And uh, he, he got up early, and he stood right there. So notice something interesting. Absalom was willing to get up early and give the appearance of being a hard worker in order to pull off the scheme that he has in mind. He's got a plan, and he's working his plan. And the first thing is he's going to show it. He's here every morning. You know, people are going to say, wow, that guy is always there, you know, standing by the gate there. So it goes on in verse 2. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? So he's going to make a little small talk to start with here. And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. So Absalom was saying, you know, it's a shame that the king doesn't really have anyone here who can listen to your case because you really do have a good case. You know, it needs to be heard. And Absalom, what he's up to here, he is strongly implying that the king doesn't have time to hear your case, and he doesn't even care enough to have someone here who would listen and uh, really help you out. Now, these are all lies, of course, the way he's setting things up, but Absalom is trying to make the king look bad because he's gonna try to make himself look good. So verse four goes on, moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit, could, uh, cause, suit or cause could come to me, that I would give him justice. So he makes it sound like he's the hero that they could have, and if he were given that opportunity to be the guy, <laughs> that he'd be able to help everybody, he says here, that is needing his help. And he even you know, says that he would make sure that people got justice. So he's, he's strongly applying again that the king is not giving them justice now either. He's trying to give this impression that David really doesn't care about his people, but, but that wasn't true. Uh, David cares a great deal about 
his people. Remember last time how patient he was with that widow that came to see him, how he tried to do everything he could to help her. And you know, it's a shame when people try to come up with lies about you to try to make you look bad, but that's how our enemy works. That's how the devil operates. You know, they even tried to come up with lies about Jesus, right? When he was on trial, their only problem was they had a hard time finding two liars that could agree, <laughs> but they did the same stunt there. And you think about this too. Absalom has all this free time and David is busy ruling over his entire kingdom. So Absalom, he doesn't mind lying though. That's okay with him as long as he gets things done his way. He wants David out of the kingdom, you know, and he wants to put himself on the throne of Israel. So how do you like this guy? He doesn't mind stepping in on other people, even his own dad if he has to, in order to get himself moved up the ranks. And like I said, the crazy thing is he's going to be the next king. All he has to do is wait, you know. Now, it's not going to happen because of the foolishness in his life, but technically he's in line to be the next king after his dad. But he's going to try to take things in his own hands, and it's going to backfire miserably for him. So in chapter 15 of verse 5, so it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him. So here he is standing at the gate, and some people are seeing, I guess, his importance with all of his chariots and all the men he's got standing there. And uh, they, they want to come over and honor him, and they find out he's probably going to be the next king. So they want to come and bow down. But it says when anybody tried to do that, he would put out his hand, and he would take him, and he would kiss him. So here comes somebody to Absalom. They, they start to bow down, and before they can, he reaches out and grabs their hand, and he pulls him to himself, you know, and you can see him giving this big hug, how you doing, brother, and gives him the, the kiss of the greeting there. You know, and basically he's saying, hey, you don't have to bow down to me. I'm on the same level as you, so stand up, you know, because you're important to me. That's basically what his actions were saying. So Absalom used this picture of false humility to deceive people. He gave the appearance that he saw the people on an equal level as himself and that they didn't have to show him any special honor, okay? Now, that's not in the guy's heart at all, but this is what he tried to portray to win their hearts. So verse six, it says, in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So these people, they came to see the king, but Absalom wanted to make sure they saw him instead. <laughs> he stood in between and made sure he made a big scene over this. And with his deceptive actions, it says that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He had a very evil, but unfortunately it's gonna be a very effective plan the way he worked this. You know, I think about the comparison between him and his father David. David earned the respect from the people just by living for the Lord, by protecting the people. And it took time to get that kind of reputation and stuff, you know. But these people here, uh, they're, they're going to fall for this little stunt he's pulling just by him giving the, the, the greeting here, you know, and uh, giving that handshake of fellowship, it appears. So verse 7, it says, Now it came to pass after 40 years, and that probably should be translated four years here, some translations might have that or you might have a footnote on there so it came to pass after four years that Absalom said to the king 
So this is about the time period he's working this little thing he's got planned here. Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant, notice he calls himself that, took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria. And that's where he was when David allowed him to come back to Jerusalem. So he said, while I was at Geshur, I took a vow and I said, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. <laughs> so it's interesting here. This, this would make David, according to the time here, it'd make him about 60 years old. He was about 50 when he had the relationship with Bathsheba, just to get the timeline there. So here's Absalom. He puts on this little show or this act for people for about four years. And isn't it interesting? He was basically campaigning for four years. <laughs> and uh, this charade paid off for him in getting a following. Some people thought this was wonderful, that this guy greets you and he doesn't solve your problem, but he tells you how wonderful he is and how great it would be if he were in office, you know. So this request that he made of David here is he says, would you please allow me to go over here? It sounds reasonable. I mean, Absalom was probably just finding a way to be able to make his entourage go with him without raising any eyebrows. He wanted to make sure he could get all his folks over there. And uh, now he's getting ready to spring this little trap that he set up. And you think about this as the words he used, you know, what better way to get David to go along with this than by throwing in a little, I'm your servant and I'm doing this for the Lord. <laughs> you know, he knew how to manipulate David, didn't he? If you bring up the Lord here, David's ears are going to pop up. He's going to say, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. You know, this is kind of sad because this guy knows how to pull the wool over people's eyes. It appears that he studied people and situations to know how to con them. And wouldn't it have been something if he would have studied people and situations to know how to help them rather than to con them? But Absalom, he's not that kind of guy. <laughs> he's not really looking to help other people. He's looking to help himself. So we get down to verse 9. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he's asked permission very formally here, if he can go and uh, do this vow. And the king says to him, go in peace. So he arose and he went to Hebron. What's amazing here is these were going to be the last words that David would ever speak to his son. And what a shame that these would be the last words that Absalom would ever hear from his father. But at least these words were honest, you know, not like Absalom's with the stuff he was pulling. And uh, these words that David gave him were words of peace. So David was not upset about him going. He wasn't thinking there's anything up here. He just said, go in peace, you know, and allowed him to go. So David didn't show any ill will to Absalom at all, you know. And here's Absalom on his way to push David off the throne so he can set himself up there. What a guy. <clears throat> Verse 10 goes on. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel. And here's his plan. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. So what he's going to do, he's going to have these, guys, these spies kind of spread out among the people, you know. So when they hear this, this sounding trumpet, this marker for them, they're supposed to part, start shouting about Absalom reigning. 
And by him having these people spread out, it would sound like a lot of people in the crowd are up with us, you know. So it would generate some more people of saying, yeah, yeah, we're, we're for this too. You know, I, I think it's sad. I, that's what the religious leaders did when uh, Jesus was going, uh, gonna, went to Pilate. They were trying to stir up the crowds and it worked. They got him going. Uh, we see also that Paul had to face that situation as he went to different towns. The Jews would stir up the crowds against him. So uh, Absalom, <laughs> although he lived a long time before this, he knows how to work the crowd. And uh, he sets all this up. So verse 11 goes on. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem. And they went along innocently and did not know anything. So it's interesting that apparently in the area of Jerusalem, Absalom kept things quiet about his scheme, probably afraid it would get back to dad, uh, because he didn't let these 200 men in on it, you know, uh, on what he was doing. They were being fooled, and he was just using them as well. And we see this about him. He doesn't mind using however many people that he can as long as he gets his way. And who cares more about people, David or Absalom? Obviously, David does. And yet, Absalom's accusing David, you know, of being uncaring. For the last four years, that's his message he's been promoting at the gate. What a wicked, you know, but again, very effective plan he had. And what's really sad uh, is that people are going to be fooled into this. They're going to follow Absalom, and they're going to end up turning their back on David. But think about this. David's the one who made sure these people had a very good life under his reign. He's the one who gave them safety, you know, by the military strength and making sure their enemies didn't bother them. He'd given them a very prosperous life. They're, they were doing very well. Uh, their families didn't have any needs that weren't being met. And most importantly, David had led them by his own example to a spiritual high where they had opportunity to grow close to the Lord if they chose to do that. I mean, David wasn't hiding his faith. He was promoting his faith. He was openly worshiping the Lord. Amazing leader. You couldn't really ask for a better situation than they had and a better place to live, a better place to raise your family than what they had through King David. But the people were kind of just taking all this for granted, much like our own society does right here. And these folks are going to turn away from David, and they're going to follow this deceptive thing that Absalom's laid out before them. And uh, it's a shame because he didn't really care about anybody other than himself. But look at verse 12. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. And notice who he is, David's counselor. Now he sent for him from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So here, Absalom, he's pulling some strings. He knows who to bring on board. He knows who people will follow, who they will listen to. And he pulls this one guy in called Ahithophel. Well, this guy, we find, has been a close friend of King David. He was also a counselor of his. He was an older gentleman. He had great wisdom. People knew that. But it's interesting because he's actually the grandfather of Bathsheba. So when David had inquired who Bathsheba was, when he first saw her on the rooftop, if you remember, he was told whose daughter he was. Well, 
that, that father, his dad was Ahithophel, okay? And David knew this. He knew the guy. He was a friend of his. It was a counselor of his. So David, when he, he went in to be with Bathsheba, he knew he was going in to his, this guy's granddaughter, okay, his friend and his counselor. It was a really wicked thing that David did. Well, Ahithophel had probably been harboring this bitterness against David for a long, long time. And I think Absalom knew that. That's why he knew it wouldn't be too hard to get him to go along with this rebellion he had against David. This guy, Ahithophel, is probably so blinded by his own bitterness, he was thinking, I'm, all, I'm fully on board with this. You don't have to ask me twice. It's a real shame. So notice this now. These are some really, again, tough lessons we get from this. Here you've got two guys who are harboring bitterness against David, and they're now joining forces because of this bitterness. So bitterness is such a dangerous thing. That's why the Lord warns us not to let it grow inside of us. You know, the one sure way to stop bitterness is to have forgiveness. But neither one of these guys are interested in forgiveness. They're interested in payback, you know. They want David to hurt just like he caused hurt in their lives. And both of them had held this hurt for a long time. So it had been growing. So Absalom and Ahithophel are now partners in bitterness. And this is a very powerful force to unite people. It's not a good thing. And the bad thing for these guys is that God is on David's side. So get this, their bitterness has caused them to go against God on this. And the Lord's going to rise up and he's going to defend David. And we'll see that later on. So their bitterness now has put them on the wrong side of the Lord. Wow, because bitterness blinds us. A lot of times we're not thinking this through all the way. And we'll go walk into something and not realize we set our own trap. These guys are in a bad place. So Ahithophel, he had not forgiven David. But he should have realized that David has changed in the last 10 years since he has sinned with Bathsheba. David has repented before the Lord, and he's walking with the Lord now. He's a changed man. So to go against David at this point was to go against the Lord. And from David's perspective, you think about this, he had a private price that he paid for the rest of his life for what he had done with Bathsheba. You know, David said this in his writings in the Psalms, my sin is ever before me. That's, that's hard to live with. So God knows our heart, and he knows the private price that we pay for past sins we've committed in our life. We can receive forgiveness from the Lord, but sometimes the scars that our past sins leave behind, they leave a very deep impression on our heart that maybe no one knows except us and the Lord. So we should never take sides against someone because of their past sins. We may be coming directly against the Lord if we do that. And that's exactly what was going on with Absalom and with Ahithophel. And you know when you go against the Lord, who you think is going to win? <laughs> it's going to be the Lord. So that's not a good place to be, to go against him. And the other people who are going to be affected by the bitterness of these two guys, before this is over, there's going to be over 20,000 people who will die because of their bitterness. You know, and the blood of those people are in the hands of these two men, Absalom and Ahithophel. 
So here's an interesting thing about bitterness. When we confess our sin to people that we have hurt by our actions, it gives them a chance to get free from the bitterness they have in their heart. <clears throat> if they accept it, that's up to them, but you're giving them a chance to get free and not allow that bitterness to grow. We don't know for sure, because we don't have a verse specifically on it, but from the Psalms that David wrote, it's very possible that he went to Ahithophel at one point and he tried to make things right. Like I said, we don't know. But if he did and Ahithophel didn't accept David's apology, then he missed an opportunity to free his own heart from this dangerous bitterness. And that's such a sad, sad place to be. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, verse 13, now a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. What a sad message to have to carry. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So this is a very loyal messenger that came to David with this news. And although this hits David by surprise, you know, he immediately saw the danger in this. So he tries to get the people to safety. He knows that normally when a new king is going to take over, one of the first things he does is kill off the king's family and any loyal followers of the previous king. So David knows that they all need to flee and they get, need to get out of there as quickly as possible. Because by this time, if this word's getting to him, he's realized this must be a plan that's been in place for a while. And I don't know how close he is, but I know he's coming. So verse 15, it says, And the king's servants, as David gave this message to his servants, said, We need to flee. The king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And you know, it's interesting to notice here what David does not do. Instead of choosing to fight and stand his ground here, he decides not to get his soldiers involved in this personal battle that Absalom wants to raise against David. And this is an amazing picture of David's heart because he's trying to spare lives. He wasn't worried about defending himself and holding on to his position. And the sad thing would be that if he did take these guys on, it's his own people fighting his own people. It's, it's a, a civil war and David's trying to avoid this. So this shows tremendous character in David. David chooses to get his family to safety rather than to stay and fight. Now we're gonna see something very interesting as we see these things start happening and the wheels in motion here because we're gonna observe people in the story now, those who are willing to publicly identify with David, every one of them is putting their lives at great risk. You know, to, to show loyalty to David right now publicly is gonna be seen as a traitor to Absalom when he gets to Jerusalem and takes over. So the loyalty of these people who are willing to stand with David is very commendable. This could have cost them their lives. And this says something about the people, but it also says something about David too. These people could see in David, you know, he's a leader that you could follow and respect and you could feel like he's making the right decisions. He has such a love for the Lord and that was very evident in his life. He, and he made mistakes, these people all knew that, they'd been with him, but they knew his heart was grounded on the Lord. And that's so important. Uh, verse 16 goes on, then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left 10 women 
concubines. And these are those concubines. Uh, he left them behind to keep the house. So David may have figured maybe this thing will be over pretty quickly. Maybe Absalom come to his senses. We've got the, the ten concubines. They'll take care of the place here. And we'll be back in a little bit. Maybe he was hoping, but you don't know the future. But for whatever reason, he thought they needed to stay there. Now we know David never should have had these concubines in the first place. We saw before that was a weakness in his life. But it would appear that David never thought that Absalom was going to harm them or David would not have left them behind because we see David is very protective of his people. You know, but Absalom, he's going to rape all 10 of them to show spite toward his father. But again, by doing that horrible thing, he shows that he is much worse than his brother Amnon and much worse than David, his father, in their moral failures. So verse 17, the king went out with all the people after him and he stopped at the outskirts. And it says, then all his servants passed before him and all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. So David stopped there and he was watching everyone leave so he could make sure they got out safely. And these different men that are listed here, they were David's personal bodyguards that he had hired, also his special forces type guys who've been fighting alongside him from the very beginning, back when Saul was chasing him. These men had seen the, the leadership abilities in David and they remained very loyal to him. So uh, it's very impressive to see these people again, they're risking their lives by sticking with David here. Now, the one thing that the, the conflict like this shows us when you see bad situations happen, whether it's on the pages of scripture or whether it's in our very own life, one thing it shows us is the character in people. We mentioned this before, conflict reveals character, whether good or bad, it'll come out. So David here could really see who are his loyal friends. You know, but for these people who remain loyal to him, they could be sure that their face is gonna be put on a wanted poster. I mean, they didn't have it back then, but you know you're a criminal if you stay with David. That's what's going to happen. When you think about it, these people didn't have anything to gain by following David. I mean, they were choosing to be on the run and be in hiding for maybe the rest of their lives. They don't know. So their lives had just been turned upside down in a moment, you know, but they chose to be loyal to David. So what we're seeing here is this is all about principle. What is the right thing to do? And the question you need to ask as well is whose side is God on? Okay, so these, these people are commendable in how they're handling this. Verse 19, then the king said to Ataiah, the Gittite, why are you also going with us? It says return and remain with the king. He's saying you might as well stay here. And he says why? He says for you are a foreigner, you're not a Jew, so you have a real choice here. And also he says, you're in exile from your own place. He had to leave his own homeland for some reason. Maybe a, a takeover like is going on right here, we don't know. So David's telling him, why don't you stay here? He says, in fact, you came only yesterday. So David met this guy the day before. And he says, should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. He says, return. And take your brethren back. This guy had brought all of his family and all of his folks with him. He says, return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So this guy's an interesting character too. He's not a Jew, 
You know, and he, he just linked up with David a day earlier. So he's, he's got a very short history with David. And he could have cut ties very easily. You know, if Absalom would have said something to him later on, it's like, oh, I just met David. I don't even know the guy. You know, so I, I just cut free and I'm, I'm back with you now. But this guy's in exile from his homeland. And apparently David took him in. David accepted him. So after seeing David's heart and his leadership ability for that short time that he did, he decides that he's going to stick with David. He realizes this is a guy I want to be with. And we're going to see more about this guy in a second here too. But David, I mean, look at his side of this. He gives this guy every opportunity to believe, you know. And he even says, if you go, I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, he says, blessings be on you, man, when you go. This, again, is very commendable on David's part. Normally, you think if you're on a run like this and you got somebody after you, you'd want as many people as possible on your side, you know. But David's willing to let this guy and his family depart with no strings attached, you know. And the reason for that was because David had all of his trust in the Lord. And David gave him beautiful words to part with. Mercy and truth be with you. Verse 21 says, but Ittai answered the king and he said, as the Lord lives. Notice this guy's talking about the Lord and this is for real because he's putting his life on the line if he goes with David. It says, as the Lord lives and as my Lord, the king lives. So he's saying, I'm a follower, you're my king. He says, surely in whatever place my Lord, the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Wow. How do you like these beautiful words of commitment, you know, that come back to David? This man was a believer in the Lord. He gave his commitment to stay with David no matter which way things went. So we're seeing here men of principle. God is bringing alongside of David. And I don't see any of this as a coincidence that this guy just happened to show up a day before and happened to be there when all of this started going down, and to say to David, you're my king. I don't know who this other guy is, or I don't like the way he does things. I see what you've done. You've accepted me. You've accepted my family. When we're on the run, we're with you. You're our guy. You love the Lord. We want to stay with you. So the Lord brings him along to be there, I think is a big encouragement to David. Amazing the way the Lord does this. So these men of principle, they're guys who do things just because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> How many folks do you see around like that anymore in, our, in the world today? We don't see a whole bunch of them, do we? <laughs> you know, people are easy to compromise and do whatever the next guy's doing rather than stand for truth. Even if they stand alone, are going to face death because of it. Lord, give us grace to do that. Verse 22, so David said to Ittai, go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. So David said, well, if you're coming with us, then, you know, go right ahead. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. So the people were weeping because these folks were having to leave Jerusalem, the land that they loved. And you know, sometimes when we follow the Lord, we're going to have to leave behind things that we have loved. But as long as we go with the Lord, we're always going to have that greatest love, the one we sang about earlier today, the love of the Lord with us. 
And that's really all we need when you think about it. Verse 24 goes on. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. So Zadok and all the priests, they came with David. <laughs> they knew which side the Lord was on. They knew David had sinned in the past, but they knew he loved God and he loved the people, very evident in his life. You know, they also knew that they could have no better king than David. So the ark, remember, it represented the presence of the Lord. And uh, these people, they wanted David to know the presence of the Lord is with you in doing this. This is going to be interesting. Verse 25, then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. So he's telling them, take it back into Jerusalem. I know there's going to be a new king there, but this is where it belongs. He said, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and he will show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, if that's what God's thinking right now, he says, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to me. So David told them to keep the ark in Jerusalem because that is where it belonged. And remember, David took a long time for him to get it there. I wonder if he was thinking about that at this point and thinking, took a long time to get that ark there. I don't want to take a chance of it getting away and taking a long time to get it back again. So go ahead and take it back to that place. And it's interesting, you know, that Zadok and the priest, they wanted the ark to be with David so he know that the Lord was with him. But the thing with David, this is the really cool thing about this. While other people looked at the ark kind of like a good luck charm if he had it with you, David didn't need that because he had a personal walk with the Lord, you know. He already knew God in his life. He walked with him every day. So he didn't need this ark to show him God's presence is with him. He knew God's presence was with him. And, you know, you look at David's trust in the Lord in verse 26. He said, you know, if God says I'm not delighting in you, then, you know, if he wants to take me out now, that's up to the Lord. So David's life was a life of surrender. And you think about this, he was able to survive through disastrous events like this one because he just surrendered his life over and over again to the Lord. You know, we do that, that frees us from being tied down by possessions of this world. It frees us from falling apart when disasters hit. You know, if we just use all the events in our life, anything that happens to us as a chance to surrender again to the Lord, it sure helps. You know, it helps us to keep free from worry, keep free from stress on top of that too. So David here was saying, you know, the Lord can do whatever he wants and I'm good with that. Wow, great faith we see in David. Now at a time of deep betrayal, look what rises to the top here. You can see the character of people. You can see who is loyal. You can see people's relationship with the Lord and their openness, you know, to surrender to the Lord. So it is possible to find great peace even in the midst of most difficult times. Just stay in a surrendered state to the Lord. That's the key. Verse 27, the king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Amahaz your son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David was sending them back 
but he was sending them back with a job to do. <laughs> he was going to have them bring back intel for what was going on and how bad things were. You know, that's going to help give him a chance to plan his next move and know where do we go from here. So he's saying, look, I know you guys want to be here. I want to be with me. You want to be here, but I want you to take the ark back. You'll be accepted. You're the priests. They're not going to do anything to you guys. So you go back there and you keep your ear open <laughs> and whatever message you send me, I'll be here waiting for that message. So he's sending out intel is what he's doing. It's a pretty, pretty good plan of David's here. Verse 30, so David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Notice he's right at the Mount of Olives. And it says, and he wept as he went up because he's leaving Jerusalem. He's weeping. And he had his head covered and he went barefoot. Signs of mourning here. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. So a lot of tears were shed on that mount. David and the people were weeping as they were going up and over top there. Verse 31, then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So as if he didn't have enough bad news, he's now told that they've got this very wise old counselor on their side. And look what happens. David just kind of blurts this out as soon as he hears this news. David said, oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So David was hit pretty hard with this bad news. I mean, this is like, wow, talk about having intel against you. Uh, he knew that Ahithophel was known for his wise counsel, so David knew he was in big trouble. And immediately this prayer just comes right out from David, just asking the Lord to mess with the counsel that this guy is gonna give to Absalom. So verse 32, now it happened, when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God, there was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. This was an old guy. This was a guy that was pretty worn and beat up. And he's saying, I know you want to come with me, but if you do, it's going to be hard to, to have you come with us. He said this in verse 34, but if you return to the city and you say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. Wow, do you see the amazing timing on this? David shoots up a quick prayer, Lord, please confuse this guy's counsel. And then it's like he turns around and here's this guy standing there who's the answer to the prayer. Wow, amazing the way the Lord set this up. And it's funny because David shot up a quick prayer and he needed a quick answer. And here's this guy. And David says, look, it's not going to work for you to go with us. But if you really want to do something, go back in the city there. And you go right in the inner court and you hang out there and you let me know. You get message to the priest, they'll get message to me. And this is the plan he's going to set up there. So don't you love it when the Lord sets stuff up like this? Wow, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, so here he is, he prays and an old friend shows up and he can do just what David needs done. So verse 35, and do you not have Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house as you're on that inner court, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them, you shall send me everything you hear. So he's got his whole line of information set up. 
So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So look how things are going on David's side. I mean, the Lord is, is, is working on his behalf. You can see that here. You know, Absalom's got his little scheme set up. He's pulling in his players, and the Lord is working on David's side, and he's bringing in the players. David doesn't even have to worry about this. You know, he's going to have priests in the heart of Jerusalem who are going to get the intel of what's going on. He's going to have a respected man in the inner courts of the area of the new king who's going to confuse the wise counsel that Ahithophel might bring against David. And I can just hear this, you know, Ahithophel, Ahithophel might be saying, I know where your dad's going to hide out. He's going to go over here. And this guy's going to say, no, he wouldn't go there because of this reason. He's got these solid reasons to say why that ain't a good idea. So the Lord is working this on David's side in amazing, amazing ways. And it's really cool to watch. And David, the thing we see on him is he totally trusted in the Lord. And you and I can do that. We can totally trust the Lord every day in every circumstance and, and just turn our eyes to him and say, Lord, I'm, my eyes are on you, my heart is on you. Whatever's happening, even if it looks really bad, if it's a rebellious invasion, I'm trusting you and I know you got this and you're gonna work this out, pretty amazing. Now we're gonna close in prayer in a second, but I wanna tell you a little story about something that happened with Rich. Uh, the last month or so, Rich has been planning on you know, leaving Washington State and uh, he said that the uh, people that he's renting the house from, he's been renting for you know a couple of years out there through the military contract, he told them that he's probably gonna be leaving this last time. So when he signed the last lease, he said, is there gonna be a problem if I have to leave early? And, and without, is it gonna be a problem with a penalty or anything? And he got an email from someone who said, no, it's not gonna be a problem, well, it'll work out. So this is from their company, all right? Well, now that things got closer, they said, and he told him, he said, okay, here's my leaving date and everything. They said, well, we might have a problem with that lease then because you're, you're breaking the lease. And he said, I already talked to somebody. He even sent them the email about it. Well, they said they take it into consideration. So he just found out the other day, I think it was, it was one day this week, whatever day it was, he texted me and let me know. He said, they just let me know. This is like 3.30, he sent me the text on that day. He said, they just let me know I'm gonna have to pay this penalty. And he said, I guess I'm gonna to try to seek some legal counsel and see if I can get out from this because I already told them and they already agreed and everything. So that was at 3.30. And the funny thing is, I've been telling Rich along, I said, Lord's got this, you know, don't worry about it, Lord's got this. We just keep praying, keep trusting the Lord. He texted me back at 5.30. He said, I went to the gas station and you won't believe who I bumped into. <laughs> he said, I bumped into an old guy, that, an old friend of mine I used to work with. He was an army legal guy. It's what he does. And he said, I tell him the situation. The guy says, hey, here's what you do. You go to Navy legal because he's working with a Navy situation out there. You go to Navy legal, tell them the whole situation. They should take care of everything. It shouldn't be a problem. Wow. Don't you love it? When God sets things up, you don't have to worry. Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. Even when we don't, he knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, our life belongs to you because of Jesus. You paid for us, Lord, with the precious blood of your Son, and we are yours. Lord, I pray our commitment to you is that we will follow you wherever you go. If, if you lead us down the road and tell us it's time to come home, we're going to go down that road. 
Lord, if you tell us you have work for for us to complete and you lead us there, we want to follow you there, Lord. You're our king, and we want to follow you as these people follow David. Father, we thank you for the answers to prayer like we saw even in the passage. We thank you for caring about each one of us and allowing us the grace to just trust you. So, Lord, we want to say a very special thank you. Thank you, thank you for the many answered prayers, for the many times you provided for us, that you've watched over us, you've protected us, you've given us a place of safety, you provided for all of our needs. We want to say thank you, Lord. And, Father, I pray that you use us in the coming days to share this good news of Jesus Christ with as many as we can. Use our life as a testimony to share that light with others. And Lord, we, we give ourselves to you. We want to stay in that surrendered state. We belong to you and you are our king. So let us follow you, Lord. Help us to do that. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.